Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I am the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming Grant Firestone to our program. Hello, Grant. Good morning. Good morning. So nice to have you with us. By way of introduction, Grant currently supports the CEO of LAX International Airport, on all things related to strategic initiatives, special projects, and events. Most notably, however, Grant also supported uh, tennis legend and pop culture icon, none other than Serena Williams, as her executive assistant and chief of staff. I know some of us may be picking ourselves up off the floor at this point. I know I certainly am bedazzled and really impressed by all that you've done, Grant. Um, So just to share a little bit more about Grant's impressive and eclectic career, you have been a political operative, a legislative aide in local government, a high school coach, a French student, a lacrosse player, and you even worked for the Global New York Times. So I think I have to ask you, Grant, is there anything that you haven't done at this point (laughs) in your life and career? You are someone who is so clearly capable and you have such a myriad range of interests and talents. We're really excited to explore the perspective that you bring to your work as a former executive assistant turned manager now of of strategic initiatives and really learn what it was that you found within the EA role to really nourish all of the different interests that you have as a person and as a professional. So let's start off with, given your various curiosities and interests, how did you find your way into the executive assistant profession? And why was the EA role a logical place for you to land? Yeah, um, thank you so much, Jessica, for that uh, lovely introduction. Um, And if I may, I I just want to first thank Thank you for having me and, and thank you for building this community. Uh, I think in this type of work, it's it's so easy to feel like you might be on an island uh, because you're you spend your entire life supporting potentially one person. Uh, and it's it, I've found it valuable even just in my own life, you know, finding other people that do similar type of work, uh, commiserating with them, talking about the highlights and the, and the lows and, and knowing that other there are other people out there feeling similarly. So I just wanted to really to, to acknowledge that and, and thank you for, for building this community and, and spending your days uh, helping us uh, progress. Thank you for saying that. That is um, exactly what our intention was. And I really appreciate that um, it seems to be having that effect. So yeah, thank you. that's great. Um, well, you know, it's not something I, I set out to do. Um, uh, you've, you've mentioned a lot of them, but after I graduated, I was actually supposed to move back to Paris uh, for a job with a law firm uh, to translate and paralegal. And a week before my flight, my visa was denied. 
so after pull, thinking the world was over, pulling out all of my hair, I, I uh, found a job on a local campaign just to make some beer money, and um, that had turned into a full-time job with a local with uh, the county council in, in Delaware, where I'm from. Uh, a couple years later, I packed the car and took a road trip to Los Angeles. I had never been there before and got into entertainment industry. And I, I spent a year as an assistant for uh, the head of branded lifestyle. So that was um, life, uh, licensing and endorsement deals for celebrities at the agency. Uh, and that, mm. that, that experience is really what propelled me into the role with Serena. Uh, and then since then, I, I moved back to LA and have been at LAX for about four years. I think personality is so important for this type of work, and, and that's probably true for, for a lot of uh, sectors, but um, it's, it's resourcefulness, it's adaptability, it's, it's poise in difficult situations, and I think that's really what, what has led to my success in this type of work and, um, and my enjoyment in, in, in achieving um, some of my success. Yeah. And I think that your story is not uncommon in that I think there are a lot of people who sort of find their way into this profession somewhat serendipitously or somewhat coincidentally. It's just a series of of, of factors. Um, and I think, you know, sure, there are some who maybe go into it with more intention. Um, but unlike you mentioned, you know, your first your first desired career was to go into um, into law and do translation. I mean, I think that's, law is a perfect example. There's clearly a lot of intention that goes into choosing that as a, as a profession because there's a lot of, you know, additional certifications, doctorates, all that type of stuff that you need to practice. Um, this is a little different in that sense. And it, it's interesting, you talked about a couple of the traits that are needed to, to be successful over the long term. I mean, what do you think, um, in terms of your your specific background, what what made it sort of logical? And, and you know, I understand you you came upon it sort of by coincidence. But once you were there, what made it a sort of logical place for you to continue to to, to land and grow from? Yeah, um, I think I. A lot of it, I think, is from childhood. I grew up kind of the mediator in a household, kind of the fixer. Uh, and it, so it was always uh, trying to be positive and make make situations better. And, uh, I, and I kind of grew up quickly in that sense. And um, that's a lot of those qualities that, that lend itself to this type of work. Uh, acting quickly, managing people both in public settings um, and and at, at the office or at home with your boss, uh, sometimes being the adult in the room, and also being able to kind of think for your principal, right? And um, and bringing bringing a positive energy and a curiosity to to the work is, I think, critical. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, it's funny. I <laughs> one of my interview questions from. For Serena, it was one of the kind of my first round of interview uh, screener question. It was describe a set a stressful situation and and uh, how you handled it. <laughs> I it caught me off guard, and I was like, "Well, 
The most stressful situation I can think about is my my sister, when she was 18, collapsed on my mom's bedroom floor and her heart stopped beating. Mm. And um, I, my mom called 911 and I got down and started doing CPR. And now she's a doctor at Stanford. But, yeah. but a, a part of me thought that that might be cheating. But the other part of me is like, this whole job is you, is is that person's life, right? So actually, I think that's quite valuable to this job, yeah. you know, to to be able to think and and um, and and just act uh, in a in a responsible manner. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think too, those answers that we give. I mean, I think that it's those answers that are the most revealing and telling, and ultimately the most interesting and insightful for whoever's asking them. So I know like what I know what you're that what you mean when you say you felt like you were cheating. But I think that it's those it's those windows into our authentic nature that makes for a good question in an interview and also ultimately a good answer. So, yeah, right. I mean, you got the job. So (laughs) (laughs) something went well. Yeah. Well, a lot of times, you know, these jobs are I came from in the talent engine talent agency world it's very much like you don't exist as an assistant you just do the work and and you're behind the scenes and that's not maybe dissimilar in in a more personal role but you also are spending 24 hours a day with these people you have to be a human and you guys have to get along (laughs) so you have to like each other 100 percent so one of the things that I love and we'll get into this more as, as our conversation goes on but one of the things I love is just the absolute breadth of what you have touched and handled so well in your executive assistant career. I think it's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I'm a big believer and proponent that the EA role, someone once said this to me, that EA, EA roles are like snowflakes, you know, no, no two are identical. And I, I mm-hmm. always just, I loved that statement and I've, I, I, I've used it, I've co-opted it over the years. But I I think there's so much truth to that. And I think you're such a wonderful example of that because your role has been really a platform for um, trying out and succeeding in all of these very, very different and nuanced and and challenging ways. So I'd love to hear, and if you could share with our listeners, how being an executive assistant has provided you with the freedom to draw upon all of these different skills and capabilities and interests that you have and, and how this role has really allowed you to nurture your various interests and gifts as, as a person. Yeah, well, I, I completely, I hadn't heard it used with the term snowflake before, but I completely agree with that description. And even if you're not jumping sectors, yeah, you could work for two quite similar, you know, tennis legends and your job would be completely different because it's based on their routines and their personalities. And, um, it is it, as much advice as you can provide. It's, it's all that kind of emotional side and, and, and being prepared and responsible. It's, and it, the, the job itself is going to take on completely different forms, <laughs> um, cause they're so personal, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's that for me, it's, it's been that, curiosity and that um that just interest in the world i i'm a huge believer in going into an opportunity with both feet and um 
and bringing energy and just wanting to learn something from it because whether it's your lifelong career or it doesn't work out well and it's six months, you're going to learn something. And you're, I think it really, um, you get, you get out of things, what you put into them. Um, and that has served me quite well throughout, throughout my career. Um, and I think it's also infectious with your teams that you work with when you're bringing that energy, the positivity, curiosity uh, to every effort. And I think that transcends work. And that's just kind of how, how I like to live. Yeah. So how has this, this curiosity that you have, how has that led you to take on interesting or um, different types of responsibilities within your work? Yeah. Well, there are times when I'm jealous of my friends who have become lawyers or doctors and <laughs> have a much straighter path. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to date, I it's it's really for me about taking good and exciting opportunities. I like to um, that same curiosity that I, I keep my eyes open and kind of I make decisions quick, well informed, but quite quickly. So um, I, I'd say that's. It's kind of how I've I've jumped these roles and um, and and benefited from them. Um, there's a there's a professor who's articulated it much better than I could have, but I think I had already kind of lived this way. There's he he did a study about making your own luck, hmm. and it's and it's the 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 conclusion was basically that people who define themselves as lucky are the lucky people because you are optimistic, you, you bring that positive energy, um, and you're, you're always, you're keeping your eyes open and meeting people and looking for great opportunities. Mm, Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like that, who was it that talks about the power of yes? And was it, was it Chandra Rhimes who did a a book about that? Uh, I remember that. I don't, it might've been Chandra. I don't. Yeah, (laughs) but it was, I mean, but the same idea, right? It's like, just have a yes mentality and like staying in a very open, coming from a very open place and very open stance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a nice segue to um, hearing you talk about how you select the roles that you ultimately accept. And, you know, I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about your professional background from Serena to currently um strategic initiatives at LAX. So what makes something worth doing in your mind? For me, I take a lot of time to just just kind of day in and day out to reflect. Uh, and as for as gregarious as I am, I take a lot of kind of grant time to, to think about things and, and to dream. And that's allowed me to know myself quite well. Um, and that it's, it's, uh, it's quite, it's tied to what I was talking about, uh, making your own luck. It's, I think it's, it, it's that confidence in what I want and what I, where I want to go, um, to, to quickly analyze, uh, a potential opportunity, um, and to connect dots between people, uh, and, and opportunities. And so I, I haven't had a formula and I don't know, looking back, you know, if, if it would end up the same way if I had to do it over again. Um, but it's, but I've always, um, you know, for example, like the, for getting my job with Serena, I was, I knew I didn't want to be, become an agent. And 
So I started looking at the normal jobs in entertainment, like media companies, production companies, and um, in, in my networking, uh, someone I had I had met a year or two prior had, had this opportunity, you know, worked down the hall from her agent. Um, and I was like, well, I had, I'm from, I'm a little kid from Wilmington, Delaware. I had never thought about working for, as a PA or first for Serena and, um, and, you know, but I, I just jumped into it. Yeah, totally. I mean, at this point in your career, can you even feel regretful that you didn't get the visa from Paris or from France? Well, it's, that's a great question. Um, not, first of all, not at all. Uh, that's the same thing. I think the way I try to live is I, I don't, I don't regret things that happen. I just move forward. And I, I think I learned that at a young age, uh, you have to just think about what you're learning from the situation. Somebody uh, to tie it back to my, my sister, uh, somebody said to me when she was in the hospital, if you had gone to Paris, you wouldn't wow. have been there to give her CPR. So yeah. I'm also grateful for that. But no, I, I think it's incredible. I've I've had um, I've had some amazing experiences, and if nothing else, they'll be good stories for the grandkids. Yeah, no kidding. So, talking a little bit about your time with with Serena, tell us. I mean, how is it that you acquired the knowledge and competency to be able to support her, not only with her obviously very complex global schedule being such a public figure, so much in the public eye. I mean, she's she is as iconic and legendary a figure of our time as I think one can imagine. So, how is it that you that you acquired that that ability and that competence, but also to be able to go so far as to advise her on things like brand partnerships and things like international property management and acquisition. I mean, how does, as you called yourself, you know, this guy from Delaware, (laughs) (laughs) how do you, how do you come to be in a place where you have that kind of knowledge at your fingertips and disposal? Yeah. Um, Well, just first too, I I just want to, I mean, I, it's still a little surreal for me. Uh, It was such an honor and, um, once in a in a million opportunity to to get to know her and this incredible she I just think the world of her and um, but you know I think I don't think you can or or should ever be ready for a big move and and not just with work uh, but especially with as you've already mentioned um, with with these types of roles they're they're all completely different and so you'll never know what the next snowflake looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I am, I was uh, from a, a, an extremely modest family in, in a suburb of, of Wilmington. Uh, I didn't know anything about her world um, or, you know, I had spent a year in LA at that point. And it's, it's really just kind of showing up and being curious. I, as one of the most interesting things I think for me Again, again, coming from a, 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 a you know lower middle class family, is that no is just not a word, and it really forced me to think creatively, because sometimes it wasn't 
it, it was never no, but it, sometimes it wasn't exactly how we wanted to do something. So it, it was, um, you know, with, with, the, with, with the wealth and with the, the, you know, renown that she has, it was, there was always a pathway to doing whatever we needed to do or what she wanted to do, right? So mm -hmm. that was, for, and no was the only word I heard growing up, you know, we, mm -hmm. I couldn't even get a gumball, you know, and so it was, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so that was, that was a really tough thing for me to, to start to be like, no, we can, we can get this done. And it, I've, I learned so much from, from having to just figure that out. And, and a lot of times it was figuring something out from, you know, Florida or from California that was happening in, in Paris or somewhere I had never been. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a lot less about being prepared for the work and a lot more about being curious, collaborative, uh, thoughtful, and, and just showing up and being kind. Yeah. And um, and it's it's something I think more and more about as I as I think of, about a more streamlined career moving forward um, in in potentially taking bigger and bigger steps. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you're making a really great distinction, which is that there's sort of the hard skills and the things that you've the knowledge that you've obtained or acquired, be it through school or just life experience, whatever. And then there's just like, let's just call it life preparation skills and the, the body of knowledge and intellect and judgment and kind of fortitude that you bring to the table because of all of the life perspectives and situations that you've collected and, and amassed in your in your life. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, your story about being, um, I mean, as you said, lower middle class and, and, you know, working your way up and not getting the gumballs and, and all of that stuff. I mean, there's, there's so much richness in in that type of, um, of childhood. And I, I think like, I think about that, I think about I hear that and I think about my my own life and my own story and it's like sometimes I think that in a weird way the worst thing that we can do for our children is to like give them the inheritance of the privilege that that mm. in many ways like I worked so hard to achieve I came from very similar background grant um you know like like the lights being on consistently was not a given <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's interesting. And look at Serena. I mean, my gosh, like so many of us, you know, if, if you don't know her story, or you didn't see King Richard. I mean, she did not come from extreme privilege by any means. Right. And so I think that there's something about that that contributes to our ability to do these incredible things. And, and the irony and I'll, I speak as a parent here is like the irony is that 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 fire that gets you to those places you know, once you've achieved it, your kids, they never know it. They're insulated from that. And, and it's interesting because I, I think that it's a real challenge as a parent to be able to um, indoctrinate or, you know, translate that same rawness and ambition and resilience because they just, your kids' perspectives, they don't have the same, they just don't have the same life preparation, life perspectives, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's a consistent topic of I'm, I'm engaged um, to an incredible woman named Olivia, um, and we we talk about that a lot because we're, yep. we're from similar backgrounds. And 
all I think about when I think about having kids is, is giving them what I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And, but, but I'm also very cognizant of, of not wanting to make them, you know, just, just entitled. And, uh, it's that we, we, we talk about that a fair amount. Uh, I, I have wanted, I have had a, a, one of those little battery operated, you know, Toys R Us cars on my Christmas list since I was four and I would still want one today. <laughs> it's the itch that still hasn't it been. It was started. never in the cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, I would love to know if you and your soon-to-be wife figure that one out. I would love, I would love your insights there because it's it's a constant, like it's a constant yeah. challenge um, in how to create that. I, I just. That's my experience. So now that you're with one of the largest international airports in the world, tell us more about what you do in this position and how you've been able to translate the experience and, and you know, all the learnings that you brought prior, how you've been able to translate that into this current role. Well, thank you for not asking how I transitioned from a high net worth history making superstar to city government. Um, I mean, we can I, totally go there. I, I still, I still don't really know. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been unbelievable. Like, I don't know what's higher than a pleasant surprise, but just it's been so great, and again, just another completely unexpected turn in my in my journey. Uh, I met the CEO just over, she, the former now, but at the time the CEO here, um, just over four years ago. And we began a conversation that, that turned into a job. And I had traveled 10 months a year for three years and knew nothing about the other side of, of what an airport is. Uh, you know, and LAX is in a, in a rarefied air, but it is, but most airports, you know, have similar challenges, but we're doing over 16 billion with a B in capital improvement pro projects right now. Wow. In 2019, we served 88 million people. Uh, you know, we have like nine terminals, we, we parking structures. It's, it's just, we work with all the federal agencies. Um, we, now we're coming out of a pandemic. It's been really fascinating, and um, to my my breadth of curiosity has been has just uh, I've I've enjoyed every day here. Uh, so my role has evolved since I I started. My I would I, I came in much more as kind of a, a an office management role uh, out of out of my EA days and. I actually recently got promoted. My, my title now is manager of airline and strategic initiatives. So I work a lot with our airline partners, um, which has been a great step for me because that's, you know, our core business. Those are, our, those are our important partners. And so I, I manage that relationship with some of our executives. Uh, and I, another big project for me is our major events. So, you know, we had LA had the Super Bowl in this past year. Uh, we had a big governmental summit in June. We've got World Cup coming in 26 and we've got the Olympics in 28. Wow. So I work with all of the stakeholders across the airport and then in into the city with the host committee and all of that to make sure that the people's first and last experiences at, at 
in LA are, are good ones. Uh, a lot of other strategic internal processes that, you know, in kind of like in other jobs, uh, maybe like a chief of staff or, or strategy group would, would take on uh, working on our strategic plan and, and some of our other processes like that. So it's, and I think it, with regards to this conversation, it, it's really all of those same skills that I've brought to this job. It's project management, it's that resourcefulness, it's hospitality, because really at the end of the day, executive assistants are in the hospitality industry in my mind. You're okay. serving someone, you're making sure they have what they need and that they're able to do the rest of their lives to the best of their ability because of your support. Are there ways that, I mean, just, just to kind of elaborate a little bit further, how are there ways that your experience as an EA directly translates to some of the things that you're doing today? I mean, you mentioned the project management piece, you mentioned the hospitality piece. Could you maybe speak a little bit further to um, some of those parallels? Yeah, I, I actually, I look at my job the same exact way. Um, I, I report, uh, kind of now it's evolved, but I, I duly report to one of our chiefs and our CEO. And so while I have certain responsibilities and scopes that are defined, like the airlines and the major events, I, I look at the job the same way as I looked at my job with Serena. It, it's how can I take things off of their plate to allow them to to do their jobs even better and have to time to think because they're the ones that have to think at the whole big picture and mm -hmm. how, and, and they need time to do that. Um, so uh, to specifically, I think it's the, it's that thinking, trying to think for your boss and uh, preempt needs that they'll have, uh, providing them information that you, you you think they might need for an upcoming meeting, connecting dots for them, saying, oh, this person is you're, is coming in for this, but remember, we also have this going on. Um, or just even in, in just in on the, the more, you know, we're welcoming partners from all across the globe, whether other airports or CEOs of airlines, and just thinking about how to show our airport the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just hearing you renumerate some of the complexities, I mean, 16 billion in current ongoing projects, 88 million people have crossed that the, those thresholds and, you know, uh, touched down at LAX. I mean, that's, that's mind boggling, right? Like the visibility and the volume and the complexity of that is, is literally mind boggling. So given your life experiences, we obviously don't have nearly enough time today to hear about all of the amazing stories and standout moments you must have. But if there's maybe one or two that stand out for you as just hallmark moments in your career, either because, I don't know, they were a great learning opportunity or they just fill you with a lot of pride and sense of accomplishment, We'd love if maybe you could share a couple of those. Mm -hmm. Well, I do have my kind of Hollywood story moment. Uh, I thought, so it, I in twenty in February of twenty fourteen, I had been in LA for about a year. 
I had a full-time job with the talent agency in Beverly Hills. I was also working at a restaurant every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, upwards of 30 hours a weekend. And uh, I was living in my car. Mm. It just, you know, long story short, because it's not, it's not important, but I, I was. And um, so that February is when I transitioned from the agency to, to working with Serena. And March 27th, that same year, I celebrated my birthday in the Ritz-Carlton on Key Biscayne with my uh, doing my new job with Serena Williams. Wow. And <laughs> I, uh, I think I was still leaving my car at that point, but I was traveling so much it didn't matter. Uh, but that was, looking back, that was a pivotal moment for me. And like, I, I think I can do this. Right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's quite the juxtaposition and in a not very, um, not very long amount of time to go from, I mean, like one extreme to the next. What's one of your proudest things that you've, that you've pulled off in, in, in a, from a support perspective, right? Like maybe something that just seemed either beyond you in terms of what you were comfortable with or what you knew at the time, or maybe it just seemed like an impossible feat or task, or it was, you know, um, it was, it was asking the impossible or something like, like, what are you going to tell your kid mm. <laughs> in terms of um, just a moment where you could sit back and say, God, like I really pulled it off. <laughs> In recent history, we had this major governmental summit that, uh, put on by, hosted by President Biden here in LA in June. And so as under my major event scope, uh, I, I led our planning to, for all of the airline, you know, the, uh, the aircraft operations for all the heads of state. So we had uh, 23 heads of state plus another 100 or so d dignitaries from around the world coming to Los Angeles. And um, nine of them were coming by private aircraft with full color guard and, and protocol greeting. And that was an incredibly proud moment because it, the week went quite well. The airport operations were not even a blip on an, an operational radar as far as, you know, causing anything for our, our, our normal carriers. And so that was an, a, a really proud moment to be involved in that. Uh, and I think goes to just being prepared and one of those things that I've never done something like that before and coordinating with Secret Service and dignitary protection and uh, airfield operations and, and oh. the fact that it went so smoothly, I, I was quite proud of. Yeah, understandably. But I think something that I'm long, just as a life lesson and, and longer term more proud of uh, was, um, was this light bulb moment I had uh, at some point uh, where, uh, and it was one of the more mature moments I've ever had in my life. And I actually think is, is really important and I, and I wanted to make sure I shared it with, with your community, mm -hmm. is these roles are so difficult. And as I said in the beginning, it's so often you can feel like you're on an island um, and you're, you're trying to support someone who has a lot going on and who, who is probably in some sense in the public eye, whether it's in business or in, in, you know, celebrity. And often 
you're one of the only uh, outlets for them, places to vent. And so there's a lot of times when you might be the whipping boy or, or something else. And I think for me, what clicked and what really motivated me to actually be better at my job versus retracting from the job was that a lot of times the moments that they're the worst to you or that you hate the job the most is actually the moments that they need you the most. Mm. Because it's those times when like, it's not personal, it, it, I mean, it might feel it. They might say something personal, but most of the time, I don't think it's about you. It's about the stress that go, they're going through right. and remembering that you're, you're, you're getting that because you're in the inner circle. And um, I think that that's a that was a very proud moment that I had the maturity to uh, to recognize that it actually motivated motivated me to 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 perform at a higher level. Yeah, well, I think that's a very um, sensitive and evolved perspective to to be able to see it that way and experience it that way. And, you know, interestingly enough, I think there's a, a good parallel there for parenting because, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, that's, not, that's not untrue, right? I mean, the moments where your kids feel like they're rebuking you and they're, they're behaving awfully or they're having a very big reaction to something that you're just a little kind of, you know, floored by. I mean, it, that's often when they're experiencing some kind of vulnerability or frustration or insecurity or whatever is going on, right? That's triggering that. So I, um, I can really appreciate that, that, that story. Um, yeah. I have, to, I have to imagine it's, uh, that, I think that's a great analogy. <laughs> oh yeah. I think you do. I think you do have to be the adult in the room. Yeah. A lot of times because there's so many people around and there's competing interests and, yeah. and somebody needs to be, to be, kind of set back and poised and think exactly well not yeah. not everybody can spiral like if we if it becomes like if you <laughs> make that person the centrifuge and focal point i mean then then we're all like getting we're all going down the train yeah. Yeah. so somebody's got to be able to stand back and and you know stand a little bit aloof um yeah. Well, you know, that's one thing you haven't yet done, Grant, is child psychologist, consultant, <laughs> advisor. So who knows? Maybe becoming a parent will open up that, that whole other pathway. You never know. I, um, I look forward to those days very much. Yeah, that'd be great. So I have a final question for you. It's my favorite question to ask um, of, every, of every of our guests. And that is, if you could support anyone in the world, whether it's modern day or, or past, who would you choose and why? I'm going to give you two again. I, I think, and this is not, again, not something I would have thought about ever in my lifetime, uh, but the opportunity to work with Serena was incredible. Uh, I was with her in a really interesting moment uh, when she was not only the greatest tennis player in the world and and history maker already, but she was becoming involved in all of these societal conversations about body image and women in business. And, um, and she was also starting to get into venture capital and other things like that, that she's now really taken on uh, since, since I left. And uh, hopefully there's no correlation there, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I it was, I, there are no words for what I learned and what I gained and, and for having her as a friend uh, today. So I think that that's, 
only because I did it can I say that. I would never have, but but I really I really do think that's one. Uh, the other, I don't know if I can use, uh, you said historical, but I'll start with mm-hmm. fictitious. Uh, if there are any wake nuts listening, I, I would say Jed Bartlett um, from the West Wing. But I, I do think that, <laughs> I do think that being a body man for a president would be, would, would have been a, a, a role I cherished. I, I'm, I'm past those days, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I do think just being there for for every second, uh, 24-hour days, you know, I think would would have been in a similarly incredible position. Yeah, yeah. Once again, talk about perspective and exposure. Right. Yeah, that's that makes the complexity of LAX look small, and that's hard <laughs> to do. That is I, very hard to do. I yeah. think about that a lot. We uh, we work closely. You know, my the CEO here is is nominated by the mayor and then confirmed, but. And even with just LA, a city of, depending on where you, who you ask, 4 million, 10 million people, right. uh, we, we have so much going on with just the airport and he comes here and speaks so eloquently about it. But then he has however many other city departments and other things going on in the city. I, so I can't even imagine a country. Yeah, no you kidding. You have to hire the right people. Yeah. Well, Grant, you did not disappoint. <laughs> this has been <laughs> such a great conversation. And I know that our listeners are really going to cherish listening to this episode and hearing your words. I mean, you've, you're really in such an incredible kind of class unto yourself in terms of what you've done and, and the perspectives that you bring. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your expertise and sharing your time with us. This has really been lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thanks again for everything you're doing. It was really a pleasure. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www mavenrep.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.